today's episode. The Grassley is is the main uh, building bricks of my fertility. If you uh, start converting today, you know, at best, it's probably three years before you're going to be selling any organic beef. Welcome to CropCast. I am Tiffany Stevenson, and today we're joined by John Ski. He farms at East Mains of Ochter House, just outside Dundee. Today, we're going to be talking about organic farming and what his rotation is looking like, um, providing nutrients to the crops and what the challenges of growing potatoes and oats are when you're organic. Hi, John. Thanks very much for joining me today. Would you like to begin by introducing yourself and giving us a bit of a summary of your farm? Okay, I'm uh, John Ski, East Main's Farm Ochter House, just outside Dundee. Um, we're a 500-acre um, organic farm um, where I farm in partnership with my uh, my parents, John and Mary. Um, and I've been doing that for basically 25 years um, since leaving college. Um, we've got... Uh, on the farm, we've got a suckler, a cow herd, um, Aberdeen Angus and Ling cross cows. We grow seed potatoes and we grow oats for milling. So we've basically got 500 acres at home uh, in a rotation. We also do another uh, four or 500 acres of contract farming and other arrangements uh, with neighbours, well, they're not direct neighbours, but uh, within a a 20-mile radius, um, which is all organic as well. Um, And we also, we grow about 150 acres of organic seed potatoes, some on our own ground, some on our contract farm ground, and some on uh, just straight annual uh, seasonal lets. So what made you go organic? So back in 98, uh, I left agri-college in Aberdeen and was basically looking for an income for myself uh, on the family farm at the time uh, with 300 acres and struggling to be enough to justify uh, my existence at home. Uh, So I started looking at possibilities uh, to diversify, to try and give myself an income of some sort. And uh, I had been quite inspired at college uh, by David Uni, who's the, uh, at the time, was the organic uh, guru at SAC in Aberdeen. And he had gotten me thinking about uh, a lot of stuff and I thought I would maybe uh, give it a go and try and uh, to, to do some niche markets was my main sort of drive. It's great that you were inspired when you were studying. How did the family react to you wanting to go organic? Well, at first, when I proposed it to my father, uh, 
at first I suggested that uh, we do a, a small bit of the farm to uh, to see how it went and uh, we had a discussion and uh, I left them to uh, to think about it and uh, the next day when I went back to to him to, to speak to him about it again he said well I think uh, if you're going down that route, uh, you may as well just go the whole, whole hog and put the whole farm in. So that's what we did. Um, so my father was back to uh, farming in a way that uh, he had done when he was young, um, probably pre-modernisation. Uh, um, so he, he was uh, he was quite happy with the whole uh, the whole thing and uh, and took it quite well. That's good to hear that he was supportive and liked the idea. So when you took the whole farm organic, how did you go through converting the farm? Well, at the time, um, we had um, we were we were growing malt and barley, which wasn't. Uh, a great uh, success in the in the late nineties. Um, so we kind we cut that out of the rotation and increased our grass. And really, for the first ten years, we really emphasised on uh, on livestock and potatoes. Um, and it's really been in the last ten years that I've moved back into to growing cereals again. Um, so with a mainly grass rotation, it's actually relatively simple, uh, to convert. Um, so that was, didn't give us a lot of problems at the time. So you're saying it's a mainly grass rotation. What was the rotation when it was just the grass and then the potatoes? And then what is the rotation looking like now? Well... At the time, we were probably um, doing four or five years grass um, and then one break of potatoes and then cereals uh, under sown to get back to grass uh, was our standard seven-year rotation, um, which I've now, you know, 25 years on, I've rejigged my rotation and uh, stretched it out a bit and we're doing more like four years grass um, then we do normally one break of uh, broccoli rented out to a, to a local farmer that does organic broccoli uh, one year potatoes um, one year oats then we do one year of uh, vine and peas, again rented out to one of the pea groups locally, um, and then back to, to oats under sown. So we've kind of moved from a, a seven-year rotation onto to a nine-year rotation, and that seems to be working quite well for us at the minute. Yeah, so moving on to the longer rotation, you have a lot more crops in there and it's great to hear that you've got the peas. Has that made a big difference, having the peas in the rotation as well? Um, well, it, it gives us a break. Um, it 
gives us uh, a bit of um, income coming in. Uh, and what we do is, after the peas are harvested, normally about the 10th of July, uh, we cultivate the field and uh, sow stubble turnips or, uh, or some sort of cover crop Um stubble turnips we then graze off uh, with sheep so it, it gives us a uh, almost two crops in a year uh, so it's quite a, a useful tool to have in the middle of a rotation there yeah it definitely is so how do you manage the weeds because there's you've got the period from the potatoes through until it goes into the stubble turnips where there's potential to have weeds coming up through how do you manage them the weeds in the potatoes are relatively easy to control. Um, you know, we we have we do mechanical uh, weeding in those. We uh, we do uh, flame weeding uh, with a gas burner. Um, so weeds and potatoes isn't uh, a big concern for me. Um, in the cereal crops, uh, I tend not to have too many problems uh, with weeds, certainly after after potatoes. If we've had a, a clean potato crop, uh, the weed burden isn't uh, isn't great in the in the first cereal. Um, in the pea crop, it, uh, peas are relatively slow growing and not greatly competitive. Uh, so there can be a bit of a, a problem with weeds um, in the pea crop, but because it's such a, a short growing season, you know, 10th, 12th of July, uh, the crop's harvested, uh, we then get a chance to, to, to either cultivate the field or depending on the weed burden, uh, we choose a crop to put in after it. Again, stubble turnips are a relatively uncompetitive, slow-growing crop. So if we've got a weed burden, uh, stubble turnips aren't great uh, because they don't tend to uh, to smother weeds. So we would put something else in like radish or um, mustard, something like that, to try and uh, to, to smother out weeds um, and just to help to build fertility for the, the final arable crop. Um, in the rotation. So in your rotation, are you ploughing? Are you direct drilling? What are you doing? Um, ploughing is my, uh, is my method of uh, cultivation. Um, I know that everyone else or, you know, the, the buzz thing just now is, you know, shallow ploughing or no ploughing. But in my organic system I'm a great believer in the plough for uh, for burying weeds and, and burying problems um, so that's certainly the way I'm going at the minute I don't see any uh, easy fix from that in, in my organic rotation um, you know I'm obviously deep ploughing for potatoes uh, and broccoli so to do any other type of uh, of cultivation is is a bit of a struggle for us 
No, that's that's understandable. It's just figuring out what works. And if you're able to bury the weeds, then you can completely see why you want to keep plowing as well. Um, so disease is probably another thing. Um, like the potatoes, how do you cope without being able to put a blight spray on? Well, it's probably the biggest headache that I've got in life. Um, oh dear. We... We have got some very good uh, blight-resistant varieties, um, you know, and there's there's more and more coming uh, to the market all the time. You know, every uh, plant uh, breeder is is looking for disease resistance uh, in their breeding programs. Um, some of them have got decent varieties there, and they're all looking for other ones. But we have got we've, we've got a family of. Uh, of potato varieties that were bred in Hungary, um, you know, that we've been growing for 25 years and they're 100% blight resistant. You just you just do not get uh, blight in the crop. Unfortunately, they've got other limiting factors. Um, the, the biggest problem being that uh, you need to have more than one good feature in a variety for it to be, uh, to be a success. So for growing the seed potatoes, you'll have quite a number of varieties on your farm as well. Is it just you hope for the best on those other varieties or is there anything else you're able to do? Normally, uh, in this part of the world, our our main blight pressure uh, comes in about the 5th, 6th of August seems to be uh, D-Day for me. so if we've got early varieties that uh, bulk up prior to this, um, you know, quite often we've got um, our full crop uh, and we've got them burnt down by that point. Um, so that kind of covers the, the early varieties. You know, you maybe don't need as good light resistance because you've got, you know, somewhere between 80 and 100% of your, your crop yield is there prior to, to blight arriving in the field. Um, but later season varieties have to have a bit of blight resistance uh, to see them through the crop and uh, through to, to, to maturity. So what are the other challenges of growing potatoes organically? A fair bit of my uh, crops are grown on rented ground. Um, So one of the biggest challenges is uh, building fertility. Um, I can, on on my own ground, I can build fertility and I know what's there and uh, I can then uh, deplete it with my, with veg crops uh, and then, you know, I know what I'm dealing with, but one of the problems of taking rented ground uh, from other farmers is you don't actually know what fertility is getting built. Um, so choosing ground with a, a history that um, that you know is going to give you good crops is, is one of the main factors in, in building a, a, a decent uh, crop of potatoes. You'll also have to have a good relationship with the 
farmers that you're taking uh, potato land from as well, just to make sure they understand the fertility needed. Yeah, I've uh, you know I've got long-standing uh, arrangements with with most of the the guys that I uh, that I rent from, and uh, you know I can I can monitor the fertility and and what is growing in the field the prior year that gives you an insight into uh, to what your potential for the for the potato crop is if you see the the crop growing the year before uh, whether it be grass or or cereals um you know how many cuts of silage they take off in a season things like that all affect uh, your your fertility building process yeah, there's, there's definitely lots to think about with the potatoes. So I'm assuming there's quite a good market for organic seed potatoes? Well, we basically, over the last 25 years, built a market uh, around what we call the horty trade. Um, you know, garden centres, uh, farm shops, gardeners. Um, and we've gone out to, to produce... Uh, sort of catalogue of varieties that uh, to try and and suit all types we don't do a lot of mainstream farmers um we tend to to specialize in uh smaller orders mixed pallets things like that you know a, a customer can can phone us and um place an order for for half a ton you know 20 bags and there might be seven or eight varieties on that palette and that's what we've gone down the route of uh, specializing in and we basically you know supply farm shops um and you know one to two acre potato growers uh, all over the country well, you did say at the beginning that when you left college, you were needing to make a space for yourself on the family farm. And I think by having such a niche market, you certainly have gone and made a space for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've kind of cornered my niche. I know that uh, nobody else, I don't think, is uh, daft enough to try and uh, compete with me. That's a good position to be in. So what about the market for the oats? So a few years ago, I started supplying um, Medlock and Medlock up at uh, Lawrence Kirk, who uh, who do uh, gluten free organic oats through uh, the oat mill of Afford. Um, and so we started supplying them, and you know we now do um, around about including other ground that I, I farm for others, uh, we do about 300 acres of organic oats uh, for them. And the, the key thing with their operation is that it's gluten-free, so they don't want any contamination with barley or wheat. So we that's the reason that we, we solely grow oats. Uh, we don't have any barley or wheat on the, on the farm at all. So for the oats, I know one of the challenges with oats is keeping it standing because it is such a tall crop. So with not being able to put um, growth regulators on, how do you keep it standing? Obviously, growing organically without any uh, any nitrogen, you know, we're basically growing uh, an, 
uh, a crop that's somewhere between 70 and 80 percent uh, of yield um, of a conventional crop. Um, so lodging isn't really, you know, some sometimes we are lucky enough to have a a, a good enough yield that uh, that it lodges, but it's not something that that bothers me greatly. Um, some, you know, it's, it's normally uh, just patches that we may have in the field, you know, and tend not to have great areas uh, lodged. It's certainly not one of my, my biggest uh, problem factors. I'm not sure how potato yields differ. I always go on the assumption that uh, if, if you go to, to take a rented potato field for seed, you know, you turn up with your uh, your seed and your fertiliser and, uh, you know, if you plan to grow a, a 16-tonne crop, the chances are uh, you put all your inputs in and you'll, you'll grow your crop somewhere between 14 tonnes and, and 20 tonnes maybe. Um, whereas organically, I turn up with my my inputs and uh, you know I'm maybe budgeting on uh, a 12 ton crop and uh, I can get anywhere between 0 and 20 <laughs> so um, you know we, we can go from, from having cracking crops that uh, you know anybody driving past wouldn't know that they're, they're organic or not um, to other crops that are, are a complete failure due to either, you know, blight or weeds or, um, or anything in between. So what things do worry you about the oats? What are your challenges? Well, from my point of view, the my biggest problem is uh, or, or can be uh, lateness of harvest, you know, and it, it sometimes can clash with uh, potato lifting time. Uh, that's that's one of our, our the major problems. You know, spring barley and uh, and early lifted potatoes work great. But likes of last year, you know, the oats was all was all cut in August um, and didn't clash with potato lifting at all. Whereas at present um, this year, I don't know if we'll have any oats cut in August at all. It's it's going to back up and then come in along the same time as uh, as the potatoes, which will give us a bit of a, a logistical nightmare. But the sun might come out and uh, help us out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the problem is we can't control the weather, although I'm sure we all wish we could. So looking after your soils, um, building fertility is definitely um, one of the most important things that you're doing. So what are you doing to build the fertility aside from having the grass lay? The grass lay is is the main uh, building bricks of my fertility, you know, and, and having a um, having the the suckler cow herd running alongside uh, is great, and that's where where most of our our, our is pretty much where all our fertility comes from, um, you know. So we've obviously we've got the grass lay we. Uh, we make farmyard manure, uh, which we can then apply to um, wherever we need it in the in the rotation, or if we've got fields that that need additional fertility building. I've also got uh, 
a good source of um, there's a guy locally does organic laying hens, which I get the the hen manure uh, from uh, that, which I can then add into my rotation uh, where I need it. Yeah, definitely useful being able to have that hen manure and having the cattle there. It saves even moving the manure around too far. It's there, ready and waiting. Yeah. So are there any other sources of nutrients that you're able to use? So we we use on all our uh, potato ground, uh, we buy an organically approved uh, fertiliser, um, which we place uh, down the spout with, uh, with our potato crop. Um, it's roughly... Uh, a triple seven makeup, um, and it's also got other trace elements and things like that uh, in it as well, which uh, we seem to have had quite good results. We've been using that for about 10 years, and uh, it certainly helps my, uh, my potato crop. Good. And we mentioned before about um, putting, say, stubble turnips in after your peas, um, which is um, great because you've got the sheep back onto the field. What about things like cover crops? You said potentially um, radish if you have a lot of weeds. Do you just put some fields down to cover crops from time to time and just leave it as a green manure? Yeah, for, depending on the on the history of the field and what we're actually trying to achieve, um, you know, my first choice would be uh, to put stubble turnips in uh, in you know summer sown uh, situation because then at least I can utilise it with uh, with livestock uh, in the winter time. Um, but for whatever reason, if the field has a has a weed issue or you know isn't fenced for for sheep or whatever um you know we just have to try and choose something else to uh to try and complement uh what what we think is is the best option um the other thing that we do is try to to sow green manure uh in potato fields if there's potential for for runoff or you know uh, anything like that but i've not had a great lot of success um sowing cover crops in in later in september uh, we just don't seem to have enough uh, to get a start prior to winter yes that's definitely a problem that people have been seeing with it and i'm assuming with the oats that the straw is baled and then used for the cattle yeah, in most situations, um, I'm I'm baling straw, but again, depends on the situation. Uh, sometimes our our fields that have been uh, undersown, I want to you know if there's if there's a good stand of grass underneath, uh, you know, I don't want to be cutting too too uh, close with the combine. I would uh, sometimes just take the heads of oats off and uh, chop straw onto the top so as not to have the hassle of going back in with balers and trailers and things to to cart off the straw. It, it just all depends on on how how desperate I am for uh, for fodder. Most of my most of my oat straw is is kept for uh, for feeding. 
uh, to dry cows and things like that, whereas most of my bread and straw is uh, bought in uh, barley straw uh, from neighbours. Very good. So looking forward to the future, are there any changes that you're looking to make to your system? Um, changes to the system. <laughs> There's not anything great that I'm wanting to change at the minute. Um, things are are working uh, relatively well for me, but... Uh, the the system that we're we're running is dependent on um you know the veg crops that are that are grown and also the potato market so if if everything market wise stays as it is i don't really see that i'm needing to change anything greatly but uh if overnight my uh my pea guy decides that he doesn't want organic anymore or likewise the, the broccoli guy, um, you know, I would have to, to change things to, to suit that, but I would probably just revert back to to my more uh, traditional rotation that I had before. Fair enough. If it's working for you, why, why change it if it's not broken? Yeah, yeah. So what advice would you give to somebody who was looking to going into being organic? Well, at present, markets are probably the potentially the, the stickiest thing. Organic uh, organic beef at the minute, it's, it's pretty much on fire. Uh, finished uh, organic beef is running at roughly a pound a kilo premium unconventional but in the last 25 years i've seen the peaks and troughs of that and normally people see the the highs and but by the time they they jump in and the the lag time on conversion and things the premiums sometimes disappear before you actually get anything uh, there for the market so that's certainly something to to bear in mind that if you uh, start converting today, you know, at best, it's probably three years before you're going to be selling any organic beef, um, and which time the the premium may have disappeared. But on the other hand, it, the, the premium may be more by then. Who knows? Sadly, we don't have a crystal ball to decide what the markets are going to do in the future. No, no. But uh, certainly... Potato wise, um, lights of last year, um, I sold probably twenty five percent of my crop uh, conventionally because the there wasn't a good enough organic premium or dependent on the variety. The in in some cases, you know, one variety we exported crop to. To Egypt and and got a higher price conventionally than what we could have achieved organically just due to, to other market factors um, so and all these things are, are out with your control so it's it's hard to to make a plan when when things can change that are are out with your control 
Yeah, it's very disappointing to hear that you were getting a better price conventionally than organically. But I know with the conventional market, there's all the, always the peaks and troughs. One part's doing well and another not so well. And I think by the sounds of it, the beef's doing well. And then the potatoes not so well organically at the moment. And you're right, it just depends what happens, all the external factors that you can't control. Thanks, John. It's been great having you with us today. Next up, we have the update from the field. Hello, my name is Mark Brasher-Gibbs. I'm a consultant with SAC Consulting based in Edinburgh. As the days lengthen, our thoughts turn to spring crop nutrition. Sulfur is often regarded as the fourth most important nutrient after N, P and K. And the best guide for assessing the possible risk of any sulfur deficiency is usually soil type and winter rainfall. The lighter the soil and the higher the rainfall, the greater the risk. And particularly after the heavy rains experienced over the winter, the risk to crops is potentially greater than normal this year. Sulfur is, of course, included in a number of nitrogen fertilizer products. And there are also standalone sulfur products such as polysulfate and gypsum. But whichever application route is chosen, it's good practice to include sulfur as part of your nutrient budgeting. A sulfur deficiency in cereals causes paling of the younger leaves initially, and severely deficient crops are stunted and uniformly pale. Sulfur deficiency can easily be confused with nitrogen deficiency, but nitrogen deficiency usually affects older leaves first. In all-seed rape, the middle and upper leaves can show intervenal yellowing, and some leaves of severely deficient all-seed rape plants are cupped upwards, the margins of a purple tinge, and flower petals are paler than normal. Winter all-seed rape is particularly sensitive to a shortage of sulfur, and the application of 75 kgs a hectare of SO3 as part of the first spring top dressing is recommended. Where deficiency is possible in winter and spring sown cereals, the recommended rate is 40 kgs of SO3 per hectare, applied as part of the first spring top dressing and adjusted for expected yield. Bear in mind that soil analysis alone is not deemed sufficiently reliable for diagnosing or predicting sulfur deficiency. And technical note number 685, available on Scotland's Farm Advisory Service website, gives further details on recommended application rates for cereals and all seed rape. Thank you for joining us today. It's been great hearing from John and what he is doing on his farm. Please make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you get notified of future episodes every month. If you have enjoyed this episode, why not try listening to Stock Talk, another farm advisory service podcast. Their October episode is also on organics. So they're looking at organics in the livestock sector. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.